welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. Rise up. <laughs> we are so excited about what God is doing in your lives, and um, you are loved and you are valued, not only by God, but by his church, not only by his church, but by each one of us in this church, and we are praying for you, whether you got to go to the women's conference this past weekend or not, um, I hope that you will leave today knowing that um, women are valuable and loved, and there's a lot going on in the culture that would lead you to believe otherwise. But you know this, in the church, God uses women for big things. God uses women to change the hearts of kings through prayer. God uses women to bring entire families to faith. God uses women to teach. God uses women to counsel, to raise families, to raise young men, young boys to become men of faith to raise young girls to become women of faith. We're thankful for you. Keep going. Don't give up. <clears throat> and repeat after me. No more secrets. No more secrets. We're continuing this series. The series is called Portrait, and we're seeing that in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is not doing is creating a list of commandments or directions for you to follow. That is not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is painting the portrait of a true follower of Jesus. And what we are called to do is to turn and face this so that it would become our reflection. We are to look to Scripture and find our true identity. So that's a reminder of where, we've, uh, where we are and where we're going Right now, we're in the mini-series inside of Portrait called Pursuing Relationships with Purpose or On Purpose. And if you know anything about secrets, you know that they can destroy relationships, right? How many would say uh, today that you have had a relationship hurt or even decimated by secrets? You can raise your hand. The reason secrets destroy relationships is because secrets are things that we like to hold on to in the dark. And when they come to light, usually it's gone too far already. And now the people, when they get to see it, haven't had any time with it like you did. And they see the deception. And it's, it's, exa it's exactly what you see happening every couple weeks or so with the Me Too movement. Right? There's secrets that have been happening and happening and happening, and they come to light, and there's shame, and there's turning away from. So we're going to see today that Jesus, he's talking about a heavy topic. We're going to talk about sin, and we're going to talk about specifically the sin of lust. And <clears throat> what I want to encourage us to leave with is that, that line, the title of the sermon, No More Secrets. Uh, when you were a kid, what line did you learn? Secrets don't make friends. Right? Secrets don't make good relationships with God either. Okay? Um, he will always find that out. We're going to see that in a minute. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But let's open our Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. <clears throat> As you turn there, um, I want to remind you that last week, Pastor Danny reminded us of the sin of anger. Right? He was clear. There is righteous anger. But... He was also clear from Scripture that most of the anger we deal with is not righteous. And God cares about anger and our heart in it so much so that he says that it would be better for us to be thrown into the pit than to have unrighteous anger toward our brothers and our sisters. So don't let that fall. If you, if you missed that, there, there's the sermon in a, in a minute. You can go listen to it online later. Uh, but don't let that um, fall 
short when we come to this next line. Remember, all of this is being built on. So take, take a moment this week, it'll take you about 12 minutes, um, to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Um, let's read this, though, now that you're there. <clears throat> Jesus begins with this phrase yet again. Real quickly, remember, the Pharisees are people who had mastered the art of attaining to perfection inside the law. They had become as close to perfect in the law as you could, right? And Jesus is just shining light on their secrets with these. Here's what he says here. You have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your entire body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus is getting to the heart of sin here. Listen to these four statements about sin, and we're going to dive into them this morning. Sin is deep. Sin is Subtle. You know, sin is not always obvious. It's subtle. Sin perverts. And sin is destructive. Sin is deep. It's subtle. It perverts. And it's destructive. I'll say it one more time because a lot of you are writing. Sin is deep. Sin is subtle. Sin perverts. And sin is destructive. Let's define lust for our purposes today. You ready for this? This is going to hit, it hit me right in between the eyes. It's going to hit all of us right in between the eyes. Because even if we don't, uh, if we realize, not like the Pharisees who wanted to look at every single black um, dot on the paper and try to define that perfectly, we look at the heart of it and see that we can lust after things in a non-sexual way. So lust doesn't have to be a sexual desire. So think about that definition when you hear this. <clears throat> the lustful look is not about a natural or holy desire for another for the purpose of companionship or procreation. Listen, God designed us to work man and woman together for what was the first reason? Do you remember? It was not good that man was alone for companionship and then the next reason to be fruitful and it's not good that man should be alone and we need to be fruitful and multiply because God wanted to fill the earth with his image and we are his image bearers but the lustful look is not about a natural or holy desire for companionship or for procreation right it's not about that it is one of self indulgence the lustful look is good for me and it is only good for me it's fully self-indulgent and that is not how God designed relationships to be if you've ever been in a self-indulgent relationship or a relationship where the other or you are self-indulgent you know that relationship does not work because someone who's only looking out for themselves can never look out for the other, so the two cannot become companions, which is one of the two goals of relationships. So that is what we mean when we talk about lustful look for the rest of this time. The reason that lust is so captivating and such an enticing sin for us is that I'm not going to speak with full authority on this. I will say because it may be, but I can't find another one in my 10 days of research on this sermon. But I will say maybe, just in case. It may be the only sin 
that you can keep a secret to yourself. The rest of this Sermon on the Mount, the sins that Jesus addressed, they violate other people in a way that the other people know and or will always find out. But the lustful look is so enticing and so tempting because I can keep it hidden away in my heart, fully protected from your view. It is totally secret. Now, Jesus is clear here. We're going to go from the eyes to the heart to the hands. He does that in this verse. We're going to talk about the lustful look will be planting a seed in your heart that grows and eventually turns to sin in your hands, right? I'm not saying it doesn't do that. But what I'm saying is, it, at its core, the lustful look can be kept in here. Pride cannot. If I'm a proud person, you will know it. Some of you are like, yes, we do know it. <laughs> if I am an angry person, I may keep it hidden away for a time. But then something's going to happen, and that will come out of me, and you will see it. But lust is not like that. You can keep lust hidden away behind several trap doors that you use to protect yourself from the others seeing it. It's a secret sin. And remember, the title of the sermon is what? No more secrets. No more secrets. Okay, so here's how lust works. We think that because we haven't done something with our hands then we haven't violated the law of God. This was the Pharisees' biggest mistake. They thought that when they didn't do anything wrong with their hands, they didn't violate the law of God. And because of this, we misunderstand the law of God altogether. That's why Jesus preached this sermon. He was preaching it to highlight the fact that the Pharisees and us misunderstand the point of the law. In order to see the portrait that Jesus is painting, we must be able to see past the physical law and into the spiritual realm. Inside the spirit of the law, we find what Jesus is saying here. We find verse 28. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. Now, does that hold up in a court of law? Absolutely not, right? Intent, if you've watched any lawyer shows, you know that intent is not enough to convict someone by the letter of the law. Jesus is saying, that, well, Paul will say later, the letter was written to kill. The letter was meant to convict. That's why you have to be, uh, you have to um, break the letter of the law to be killed. But what Jesus is saying is, there is a spirit behind or underneath the letter it was the reason why I made the law, if that makes sense. I'm not sure how into politics you are, but there is um, disagreement right now in the Supreme Court. There has been for decades. And um, I'm not going to get into who is right and who is wrong, but here's how it goes. Um, conservative, right-leaning justices want to perform their duties by the letter of the law. Liberal, left-wing justices want to leave the law up for interpretation, thinking that there, it was written under a certain spirit. Case in point, here's the simplest one, the gun debate, right? Yeah. The letter of the law says you have the right to bear arms. Mm -hmm. What these people, the left people will say is, yes, but, you know the argument? But the people who wrote that did not know that AK-47s would exist one day. So what they're saying is, again, you don't have to figure, don't get distracted and like try to see who's right or who's wrong, but this is the point. The point is they're trying to say it was written with this intent, you know, to be able to protect against the government and this and that. So even though it says you have the right to bear arms, maybe they would have said now like certain arms. And they would say, no, the letter of the law says this, this is what we follow. Does that make sense? This is, if you can get that, then you can start to understand what Jesus is saying here. Okay, what Jesus is saying is there is a spirit behind this law, and the spirit was intended to give life. Um, so the old covenant was written on tablets of stone, right? Physical tablets of stone. We really believe, people who believe the Bible actually do believe that God inscripted laws onto stones in a miraculous way on top of a mountain during a storm with Moses. We believe that. Physical stones. 
this covenant was broken by man. It was broken by us. Um, if, you, if you're uh, skeptical as to whether you've broken that, that law before, ask yourself this. Have you ever placed anything in your life in the place of God or above God in a worshipful way? Have you ever um, lied, cheated, or stolen? Have you ever committed adultery? Not as many nods for yes on that one, but I know that it's happened because there's people in this room, right? So there you go. It only takes one, as they say, but we, we have broken this covenant. The new covenant, though, is written on the tablets of your heart. This, there is a spiritual, not a spiritual aspect. This is spiritual. The old covenant was written on tablets of stone. The new covenant is written on tablets of your heart, and it cannot be broken. Why? Because it was sealed with the perfected and completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Amen. It was sealed. It cannot be broken. Jesus sealed it. So, I know we're in a lot of, these are a lot of semantics and stuff, but it's going to become really helpful when we finish this sermon. So we can't become trapped, okay? We cannot become trapped by the temptation to focus our efforts, listen closely to this, we can't become trapped to focus our energy and our efforts on stopping sins. This is what the Pharisees' mistake was. They focused their effort on trying to stop their sins. But they were ignoring the biblical truth about sin. And that's that sins, physically committing acts against people, and against God, sins are rooted in sin. The fall of man deep in our hearts, in our souls. So if we, when we focus our energy and our efforts on stopping sins on the physical front while ignoring the biblical truth that sin goes deep in us, we fall into the trap of being a Pharisee. I'll break this down a little more. Here's, that might scare some of us. It actually does scare me, right? Because when I, when I spend some time trying to stop physical sins, I can accomplish that. Can't you? Haven't you defeated some sins? Like you have said, all right, lying is a problem for me. You know, through prayer, I'm not, I'm not saying you did it all on your own, but you have been able to stop some sins from happening, haven't you? I hope so. That's the part of sanctification. The part of sanctification that we have grit in us from the gospel that says, you are saved by grace through faith. You can't do anything to save yourself. But by God, you can rely on Jesus and you can look to him. And that thing that you sinned against in yesterday, you can have victory over today. That is real. So I'm not saying that you stop doing that all the way, but it scares me because this. When we have victory over those, it, it helps us. It, gives our, it puts our ego up. And sometimes what, what happens with us is what happened with the Pharisees. Is we say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. I'm just going to try to attack all my sins. And the danger is we never went deep to the sin. If you've ever been to professional counseling, you probably know this type of language. If you haven't, it might be new to you. It was, it's new to me. And this is the idea that... Your behaviors, your out, outer behaviors reflect what's something that's happened to you inside. Maybe, er, maybe early on in your life, or maybe it's um, just the way that you were conditioned from your, your upbringing. So, for instance, people who are abused, were abused when they were younger, in some form or fashion, tend to do what when they're older? Okay, so they could just try to stop abusing people, and they could get victory over that. But they will still have in them What? They will still have all that hurt and all that pain that is deep-seated. And if you just attack it here, this stays contaminated. Okay, have you ever been to an island? Um, there's an island in the Caribbean that Aria has been to with me. What's up, Aria? Called St. John. Mike has been, Mike has been there, too. We've been there on mission trips a couple of times, and there's no fresh water on the island. So how do people live there? That's a good question. They have things called cisterns. 
and they collect rainwater, and they have water, excuse me, water purifiers, or they boil it if they don't have a purifier. But the point is, the cistern collects the water, right, through a closed loop system. So contaminants cannot get in. So the rainwater comes down and it goes through and it comes in, but stuff doesn't fall directly into the cistern because then leaves would get in there, dirt would get in there, you know, birds would fly over, you could fill in the rest. So in order to keep the contamination at bay, in order to keep the, the cistern pure, you have to have a closed loop system. Now, you can skim some leaves off the top of a cistern that has been exposed to the elements and look into that cistern and go, this is clean. I can drink from this. However, if you get a little pH tester, it tests for purities or impurities in water. And you put it down in that cistern, maybe even just an inch deep. You don't have to go down to the bottom, although it would get worse at the bottom. You put it just, just an inch deep and you take it out. The pH reader would tell you when you look at the key, find the number, cross-reference, you would find that what? Should not drink that water. But it looks perfect. The leaves are all gone. The twigs are off the top, and there's no lily pads on there. I could drink from this water. It looks perfectly good. But it's not good. Why? Because it's been contaminated so deep down there that you can't see it. This is sin in our hearts. And what we often do, and this is what I mean by focusing our efforts, we often focus our efforts on getting the leaves off while the bottom, the water down in the well, in the cistern, is contaminated. It's not good for you. It will make you sick, and it will eventually kill you. We can't be trapped by this temptation to just skim leaves off the top. What we have to do, though, the reason it's scary is because if I go down there, it's dark. And I don't like what I find down there because I find the root of my anger. I find the reason I'm angry at people. And that reason is because I'm angry at myself. And I'm angry at myself because I have never been able to finish a job ever before. And I haven't ever been able to finish anything because I just get too tired and I get exhausted and I give up. And I give up because I don't think that even if I did finish the job, it would be good. And I think that, I think that because sometime, one time, some time ago, I did my best and somebody spit on it and said it was worthless. Now we're in the well. We're down in the cistern where way back over there was like, I just keep leaving jobs unfinished. So let me just start finishing some jobs and scraping the leaves off the top. The reason you don't have to fear in going deep into the well is because the farther we dig into our own sinfulness for confession and repentance, look at this, the deeper we find the love of God goes. The farther we dig into our own sinfulness, the deeper the love of God goes. It's almost as if God is saying, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's almost as if God's saying that. <laughs> the people who are laughing know that that's because he did say that. That's a direct quote, not from Larry Mayberry, from the word of God. God gets down in the well when you open it up and let him in. And it doesn't say, um, I will force you to confess your sins. It says, if you will confess your sins, God is saying, give me an invitation into there. I want to forgive you, and I want to cleanse you of unrighteousness. In other words, I want to take away your condemnation. That's the forgiveness. Now you're not condemned for this. You do not go to hell for this. You are not going to die for this. I am forgiving you. But then he says, I also want to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So it's not just that he removes the punishment. He wants to make you whole again. In counseling, you would call that a breakthrough. Jesus wants to give you a breakthrough in your sin, but it only happens if we let him in. Now, why spend so much time on that 
aspect. Here's why. These, this route we're about to take with lust is not just about lust. Jesus didn't only preach about anger, lust, your oaths, retaliating against others, and loving your enemies. Those are the only four he addresses. He doesn't, only address, he doesn't address only those four because those are the only ones as a portrait of a follower of Jesus you need to reflect. No. He does it because he knows that these certain ones are so important and so vital that if we can find cleansing and we can find righteousness in our unrighteousness from these animalistic, natural, uninhibited desires to sin and just get pleasure for ourselves, then we can find victory over the other ones that will come. So, you have heard it said that eyes, your eyes are the window to your soul. You heard that said before? So, read this. This morning, I want us to fix your eyes on Jesus. If eyes are the window to the soul, oh, it's not up there. It might be. Um, fix your eyes on Jesus. This is not just some cute platitude that we use when we want to express someone to someone how much we love them. Oh, your eyes are the window to your soul. Do you know there's actually some scientific evidence to this? I learned it this week. Let me read you this quote from Dr. David Luden, a psychologist who studied this. He said, quote, once we've identified an object of interest and have it under our control, so much there, we shift to exploitation mode. He's just talking about your eyeball. Once you've identified an object, once you've seen something, and you have it under your control. In other words, like I can see Megan. I can see her right now, right? So that's under my eye's control. Once that happens, we shift. He's not talking about sin, by the way. This guy's not a believer. We, sh we shift to exploitation mode. We need to examine the item carefully to find all the ways we can use it to fully understand it, to understand it as fully as possible. Now, visual acuity is most important, and our pupils dilate or contract so that just the right amount of light comes in. Here's how this works with something simple, like a chair. Put your eyes on the chair. Now, even if I had not said the word chair, you would have seen this and thought what? Just give me some things you could, what are you thinking? Go. Sit on this, okay. I just trusted it, right? I never examined this chair, but with my eyes. What else? I could stand on it, yeah. What else? I could fold it. Why do you think that? You see, because your eyes are telling you all these things. That's a folding chair. You know that because your eyes are examining it and you're finding ways that you can use it or control it. We could go on, but we'll stop because you get it. Now, the eyes may be, he continues, thus, the eyes may be windows to the soul, but the pupils tell us a lot about what's going on in the mind of another person because of this, something called the pupillary light response. It's not just a mechanical reaction to the amount of ambient light or aperture on a camera. Instead, the pupils also adjust according to our emotions and expectations. Think about this in the term, in the context of lust. When I look at something, scientifically in my eye, I'm learning how I can use it, exploit it, what I can do with it. And my pupils actually respond to my emotions. So what's, what, what the science is saying is that what Jesus teaches us here is not just some... 2,000-year-old prophet spouting off hypotheses. He's saying, this is how I designed you. Listen. Verse 28. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, pupils dilating, examining, <clears throat> wondering how I can exploit and use this, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Why? Well, think about it like I just said. A man who looks at a woman wondering how he can exploit her, use her, what he can do to her, 
and actually his pupils reacting to the emotions that are going on in his body. It's a secret sin, sure, but if you, the science says, actually, if you studied the eyes, you could probably figure out if that man is lusting after the woman or just appreciating God's beauty, which is often the excuse for lust <laughs> that men use. I know there are a lot of women here. So, when we peer at something with desire and intensity, we are trying to find ways we can use it, understand it, and exploit it. Jesus specifically addresses this as it relates to adultery because sexual desire is so deep, deeply rooted in our soul that it can cause those things that I said before. It can be subtle, it can pervert, and it can destroy those four things of sin. Jesus forbids lustful desire because this one will stick with you. This is the, the thought that I've been not able to get away from this whole time. Jesus forbids lustful desire because images of shameful things written on your heart can be accessed at any time. When you lust after a woman, men, you are taking captive her in your own heart to access whatever you found out about her at any time. What is that called? Slavery. The one who lusts turns himself into a slave master. Taking captive a woman in his heart for him to use however he pleases, whenever he wants, in full secret. Why did Jesus go past, don't commit adultery? That's what you have heard it said. No, 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 no. Now can you see how, wow, I mean, committing adultery, we're not going to put that down as if it is nothing, but can you see how Jesus meant about the, the heart of this? He's saying, before you ever committed adultery with her, you were already turning yourself into a slave master over her. And the, 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 the most shameful thing about it is, oftentimes, that woman becomes your slave without her ever knowing or giving permission to. This is why the look, the, the sexual desiring look after a, a man's wife is different than after someone who is not his wife, right? Because the two have joined into a relationship and have given themselves fully to one another. Then it becomes a beautiful thing. It's not slavery then. It's Adam and Eve in the garden walking together naked and without shame. Eve would never have said, Adam, don't look. I'm naked. Why? Because she knew that Adam was not there to exploit her or use her or rule over her for his own personal gain. She knew and trusted that he had her best interests in mind. He was looking at her because he enjoyed her, not because he wanted to gain something for himself. The self-indulgence is gone. In this way, sin perverts our heart. So how harshly does Jesus deal with this? Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Hyperbole or literal? What do you think? Hyperbole. Hyperbole. Um, here, here's why. Okay, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. He's teaching us a lesson, right? He's saying, listen, this is where the grit comes in. I talked about it at the beginning. I want you to think about this with such passion. I want you to effort at this so badly that you do not let yourself take women as slaves in your heart. I want you to do it. I want you to try so hard that you are willing to go to the extreme, even saying, I will take out my eye if I can't stop it from sinning. And I will throw it away because I don't want my whole soul to fall into hell. I don't want my whole body to be destroyed when it's just my eye that's causing the problem. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, though, when we fix our eyes on him, we are given light and life and all that is good. 
when we fix our eyes on the things we lust after, we are returned back sinful perversion, taking someone captive in our heart. Now, I said this isn't only about uh, sexual feelings, right? He deals specifically with it. That's why we're going deep into the sexual aspect of it. But for everyone who's not a man, which is this specifically addressed to, um, and everyone who um, has other things that they might look at like this that are not sex, this is, if you're wondering, but is it, is it for me too? Yes, it is. So, for instance, you could fill in the blank like this. Lindsay mentioned something in her prayer about offerings, and she's my wife, and I think she'll be okay with it. I will exploit her for this. She said, she said, she knows already what I'm going to say. She said, um, the money, uh, thank you, God, for the money that you give. I pray that we would um, give it to you when sometimes we would rather spend it on something to put in our something pretty to put in our house. Do you hear that? Okay. So this is something in Lindsay's heart that she loves to have those things. She loves to create a home. It's a good thing. But what she was confessing to you out loud, her church family, is that sometimes that beautiful thing that God has given her can become sort of a God. And when it happens, what it looks like to her is, I would rather spend my money on this thing that I want to take and exploit and have for myself instead of giving it where I know that it should go, which is to God. You see that? So in that way, she can turn her desire for something good into a lustful desire. She's looking at that thing because she wants to own it and possess it. And you can also see why Jesus dealt with sex. Because although you guys are like, yeah, I get that, there's not nearly the gravity of taking a pot of flowers hostage in your, in your heart as there is when you take a person hostage in your heart. That's why he went, that's why he went there. That's why he went all the way there. He could have just told them something about money, but he knew it wouldn't go deep enough, remember? The deeper that we go into our sin, the deeper God's love goes. He knows, I'm not afraid to go down here, guys. I'm going to love you all the way down to this one, the one where you become a slave master. And then it also includes everything above it. That's how deep I go. So you have to, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. But uh, Sorry, we've got to move on. Guard your heart is the next thing. The way that, so what Jesus is showing us is that it goes from eyes. When so we let something in, it comes into our heart. He says, when you look at a woman with lustful intent, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. In other words, what that, what that uh, PhD um, psychologist said earlier is true in science, is also true in spirit. It's that eyes are truly the window to your soul, and it's because when you let things in your eyes, they take root in your heart. When we lust after another, we are giving the enemy, this is dangerous stuff. If you, this is your first time at Queen's Church. <laughs> uh, the sermons are not always this dangerous. But the reason that we preach sermons like this is because we're going through the Bible, verse by verse, and this is how we become discipled. This is how we learn to love God more. When we see Wow, we talked about that at church, but I saw that when we talked about that, God's love for me is even bigger than I thought. That's why, if you're wondering. So come back next week, too. Um, but when, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> when we, uh, we're, talking about, we're talking about promises next week. So um, when we lust after another, we are giving the enemy, listen, we are giving the enemy direct access to our innermost being. That's where this goes. Some of you are nodding your heads because like, yeah, I knew we were headed this way. When you lust after another, you are letting the enemy in through your eyes and giving him access to your soul. You're, let, you're taking the top off of the cistern of your soul and you're saying, rain in. And the thing that's raining in is set against you from before the foundation of the earth. That's not true. That was wrong what I just said. The enemy was not set against you before the foundation of the earth because the enemy was under submission to God, always. But the enemy has been set against you since his fall. Correction. Correction. Granting such access to the one who is determined toward your destruction is an act that is impossible to undo. Granting such access to the one who is determined toward our destruction is an act that is impossible to undo without the work of Christ. You can't undo it. I can't undo it. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 kind of shows us this. 
This is Paul talking about the new covenant. Paul says that God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Woo! All that stuff I said about women in the beginning, if you were wondering if that was true, there it is. God has made you sufficient to be a minister of the new covenant. He's not talking about male or female right there. Listen, not of the letter, but by the Spirit. See why we did all that at the beginning? Now you know. You're not a minister of that letter. You're a minister of the Spirit. Why? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter of the law was meant to kill, but the Spirit of God is meant to give life. Because the law brings death, we are condemned when we violate it. This condemnation, this condemnation, just like salvation, is not something that takes place in the physical realm. In the physical realm, we all die. 100% of people die. But in the spiritual realm, not 100% of the people die. What? In the spiritual realm, not 100% of the people die. In the spiritual realm, there is a new covenant. When you place your faith in Jesus, you, are, you become a minister of the new covenant. And in the new covenant, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our souls are damaged beyond repair, and our sentence for the guilty verdict against us is an eternity of death, separated forever from the love of the Father when we violate the law, the letter of the law. But praise God for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? There's the bad news of the law, and there's the good news of Jesus Christ. With the new covenant, those who were once enemies have now become made friends through faith. This new covenant isn't sealed by the letter. We learned it earlier. What's it sealed by? Jesus. Jesus sealed this new law. So now we must guard our hearts so that they will live forever with him. Last illustration. I told Danny already, this is a hard sermon not to preach an hour on. But we're getting there. Tending our hearts is like tending a garden, another thing my wife loves to do. In order for growth to happen, we must till the soil through the difficult work of confession. Tilling soil is not easy work. If you've ever worked in the garden, you know this. In New York, we have great soil, and it's actually very moist. If you go, so it's it's easier to till. But if you go somewhere where the soil is not great, our hearts contaminated by sin, tilling is difficult work. In order for growth to happen, though, we must do that difficult work. That's confession. We must water it and expose it to sunlight through prayer and through the reading of God's word. And we must cultivate an environment conducive to growth by being a member of the family of God. That's the local church. A garden is just like our spiritual life. It's why Jesus uses it so often to describe things. It's because there's these steps involved. There's tilling, which is confession. There's watering and exposing to sunlight, which is prayer and fasting and the reading of God's word and our spiritual disciplines. And there's also con- uh, creating an environment conducive to growth, which is An apple tree by itself produces 10 apples. An apple tree in an orchard produces hundreds of apples for years and years. They protect each other from the elements. You ever see an apple orchard? How many of you have ever been apple picking? Raise your hand. You ever notice what the trees on the outside of the orchard look like? What do they look like? They're they're more barren. They're battered. Why? Because they catch the brunt of the storms. They catch the, um, the runoff of the water. And oftentimes they catch the least or the most amount of sun, depending on if they're north-facing or south-facing. So listen. All of these things, though, will not keep temptation from entering our path. All of these things. I just described some things and you're like, yes, I'm doing that. I'm confessing, I'm praying, I'm in the, I'm in the family of God. Why am I still being tempted like crazy? Why are lustful looks still being uh, run across my mind? Why am I still struggling with anger? It's because these things are not meant to keep you from temptation, from temptation coming into your path, any more 
then those things will keep a rodent out of a garden. What do you have to put up to keep a rodent out of a garden? What's that? A fence. In order to keep rodents out of the garden, you have to put up a fence. Here's how you can do it wrongly in the spiritual realm. What the Pharisees did, they did something called hedging in the law. In other words, if I don't want to commit adultery, then I don't um, ever be around women. Okay, that one's done. No, what you, they, they would do more steps. They would say, I'm not going to be around a woman alone. They would say, um, I'm going to make... I'm going to make laws that make all the women dress in a way that's not lustful to me. Put that one there. I'm going to let women's conference handle modest dress. I'm not even broaching that topic. But that's one thing they would do. They would just put it out there. So they hedge in the law, right? What they did wrong was where did they stop at the sins? They didn't go deep enough, right? Hedging in the law is not wrong. So what God is calling us to do is to, he says it here, uh, so, uh, last verse, verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, call that rodents, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. In other words, the, the, things, the things you need to put in place to guard your heart from temptation are not about other people. That's what the Pharisees made their hedges about, other people. Other people need to do this so I don't sin. Other people need to do this so I don't sin. What Jesus says is, you need to take responsibility for this so that you do not sin. So what Jesus is saying is, have some accountability. Well, I can't do it on my own. Well, yeah, but back right up. We just said you're in a garden full of other trees because you're a part of the family of God. You don't have to do it alone. Jesus is not ignorant to think that you can do this on your own. He's not even ignorant enough to think that you can do this just with him and you, me and Jesus. I don't go to church because they're hypocrites, right? He doesn't say that. Jesus is not naive. But what he's saying is, ultimately, the responsibility falls on us to want purity so badly that we will peer, instead of into things with lustful intentions, we will peer to the face of Jesus. We will fix our eyes on him. And when our eyes want to be moved, we will move them back. And when our eyes are moved and we can't move them back, we are honest enough with our family and they will move them for us. We must fix our eyes on Jesus and guard our hearts. Next steps. Let's close this up. Fix our eyes on Jesus and guard our hearts. Here's what I want us to do during this time of response. We have two songs during this time of response, and that's because um, the time of response is not like the closing song to part our ways. This is when the things that you've heard and that you have understood about God's word right now that are, that are in your eyes and in your ears, this is when you can take the first steps of making them take root in your soul. Through prayer. You can get on your knees. This carpet is comfortable. You can come up here and fall prostrate before God if you need to. We're going to have our prayer team at the back. You can go speak with one of them. If there's a line at the prayer team, turn around. You pray with the next person, then they'll pray with you. <laughs> Boom. Prayer team infinity right there. The, the way that we need to take next steps, here's three opportunities that I'm going to give you, and you might have others. It's The first one is this. It's that thing at the beginning that scares us all. It's to dig deep into your heart without the fear of condemnation. Now, if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, that's the third step. Handle that one first, and then you will be freed from condemnation to go deep into the sin, okay? This is difficult but ne necessary work. This is the work of sanctification. It's when we dig deep through confession and repentance, and we know that we do not fear because the Lord is with us no matter how deep we go. The Lord is with you. He's not leaving you down there in the bottom of the cistern to drown. He's with you. The second thing you might need to do is to turn from destructive, sinful patterns. If your right eye or your right hand are causing you to sin, turn from them. Cut them off. Throw them away and look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And the last way is this. Trust Jesus to save you from sin. That's what I said. If, if you don't have, if you don't have faith in Jesus yet, wait till the third one. That's this one. If you are here today, and throughout this whole sermon, you're wondering, you know, like about this thing we talk about Jesus, like He has a relationship with us. That relationship happens by you stepping out in faith and receiving this grace, this amazing grace that we cannot explain with words. But the grace says this. 
while you were once dead in your trespasses, Christ Jesus came to you and he said, I want to free you from the hold that sin has on you. Maybe you feel like you've been taken captive in someone's heart and you are a slave to them. That person is sin. Sin is not a person, but that is sin who has taken you captive. And Jesus says, I will set you free. And here's what you do. You don't have to do jumping jacks or prayer circles or worship songs. You step in faith. You trust in me. You give your whole life to me. So our prayer team can help you with that. Say, I just, I want to trust Jesus if that's your call today. Take the next step in your relationship with him. Say, no more secrets. No more secrets. No more secrets. Listen, secrets don't make friends and secrets don't make a healthy relationship with God. He knows the pH balance in your sister. And he is not scared of it. If you're like, my pH is so high, God wouldn't even know what to do if he got down there with me. Just say that out loud. I've heard people say that out loud as their confession. Just say it. Jesus is not scared of that. And neither are we, if you're thinking you might get condemnation from us, but you know Jesus won't give it to you. We've heard some stuff. Don't worry. We've got some stuff. Don't worry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we respond to you, would you give us faith? I pray that the words of your scripture, God, that we have fallen fallen into temptation We've let things into our eyes. We've taken people captive in our souls. God, we've given you access to the darkest areas of our lives, knowing that you will set us free. Give us faith to do that today. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. During these songs, you feel free to respond how God has called.